Welcome to War Games, hosted by the sales genius Joe Ingram. If you're looking to win the sales battle, then you have joined the right team. In the War Games group, we devise strategies for sales, marketing, branding, mindset, and attitude. We enlist the assistance from the most successful producers across all industries. We then share their knowledge and techniques with you. Our single goal is to get you ready for your next sales opportunity. When it comes to crossing the minefield of sales, step in the footprints of those that have crossed before you. Now, prepare yourself for boot camp and beyond. It's time for the war games to begin. Hello, war gamers and sales genius podcast listeners. I am excited today to bring on another individual with a great name. When I say that, sales genius, right? Today's guest is the sales doctor. His name's Chet Lovgren. Chet's a seasoned professional. Uh, he's done sales, sales leadership for the last 11 years. In 2020, Chet launched the sales doctor with a mission to prescribe effective solutions for revenue problems and struggling go-to-market strategies. We talked earlier and Chet's going to come on board and talk to us about not so much customer journey, but let's talk about how do we get our prospects to go the right way? How do we do this? And I know a lot of us have this issue where we have a bunch of people that we are reaching out to, but how do we effectively get them into our funnel? How do we effectively get them through the process? Okay, and so Chat his, Chet's track record's pretty impressive. He's been pivotal in building sales processes and teams that have helped companies secure over $100 million in VC funds. And you know, that would make our life a lot easier if we had money like that to throw around. But we're out here building businesses and going forward right? He's going to go in. He's going to talk to us, give us some nuggets, give us some functional tactical tips that's going to make our business better. So get ready for a dose of wisdom and a prescription for success as we dive into the world of revenue enhancement with our sales doctor himself, Chut Levgren. Chut, how, Chut, how are you? I'm going to bring What's JR, on? the resident eye candy for the on-screen people that are paying attention. <laughs> So I'm going to say, welcome, guys. Uh, I'm going to say, Chet, switch with me because we're all about you today. Okay. okay. And so we, I love the acquisition.com hat. Hey, hey. Thank you. Yes. Tip to the Mr. Hermosi. And so uh, we are excited to have you here, Chet. I really do want to learn from you. Why? Because we can be, I can be a sales genius all I want, right? And as you pointed out earlier, we got this, the genius, the advisor, and we got the doctor. So I think yeah. you know, Jr. and I are going to sit back and say, "Let the doctor start talking." Okay, so this yeah. is it. And then we got some people that are addicted to the drugs. Lynn Serrano says hello, right? And so Bob says, "Preach." Bob is yes. a looks like every other Facebook user that starts as a bot, but eventually his picture will come up later. So, <laughs> Chet, welcome to the show. Give me a little bit uh, of, of you prior to coming in here. Yeah. I mean, if we start back at the beginning, I think I've always been like an introverted extrovert. 
always a stat geek, but I played sports. But when I played sports, what I was really interested in was my performance. I think that was my dad, like meticulously tracking my at bats and baseball, you know, all the stuff we did 40 times agility, cone drills, all that stuff in football. Uh, wasn't much of a basketball player. Always wanted to. I've made one half court shot in my life, but it was that and also being addicted to the analysis of sports in general and just looking at statistics. And so I think that translated very early on in my sales career when it was, I mean, nobody's good at sales when they first start. I don't care who you are. And I was just dog water, absolutely awful. And I said, well, like, how do I get better? You know, what? how should I be measuring things? And over time, that kind of led me to the understanding of if there's a problem, if you have a problem medically and you go to a doctor and they immediately diagnose you, then they're guilty of malpractice, right? And we tend to do that a lot in sales. We immediately go, oh, this person's struggling because such and such, because we listened to one of their cold calls or we reviewed one of their discovery calls or we're looking at one single metric, but it's about like peeling back that onion and kind of seeing what is the root cause of all these symptoms. I can't tell you how many companies I work with where they say, oh, it's our point, we're not generating enough appointments. And then you look through and it's like, well, you're also not qualifying enough, meaning like you have these really, really restrictive reasons for making something an opportunity when based on your revenue targets and what you're trying to accomplish, VC funding, uh, you should probably, you know, be a little bit more lenient with those restrictions. Like, why are you following Vant? That's a thing that IBM did back in the early, you know, 80s when they had more business than they knew what to do with. So they would only talk to people that had money to instantly pay for their solution. If you're not in that position, you shouldn't be following Vant framework, budget, authority, need and time. You should be following like Medic or MedPick if you want to go V2 a step further. And so um, it really became a passion of mine when I started working with a lot of people in early 2020 uh, who needed coaching, who needed help, who needed advisement, strategic advisement with companies. Um, and then eventually took the leap into my own entrepreneurship at the beginning of this year, which has been pretty, pretty terrifying, but also pretty fruitful. Uh, as you can, as you probably know, it's, uh, it's a gamble on yourself, but it's like, I've been taking that gamble on myself every single day, but for someone else. And, uh, you know, I figured out kind of the method of working, uh, you know, on the business instead of so much in the business, which I think is a big part about job creation for yourself when you go out on your own. So We've been doing good and we're, we're looking to continue getting better. That's fantastic. And yes, I completely understand that. And that's the, the, the part I always looked at myself and what helped me like my first transition from being an employee into, Hey, now you can earn commission, right? That went so great to realize my efforts were actually going to pay me as opposed to something else. Right. Where mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was like, what, what's going on? And then you were with somebody, but, you know, doing all this work for them. And then when you get the point of commission, right, you go, hey, I can see what I'm worth. Then when it comes to I'm jumping out to do things on my own, like you just said, right, that's where you stop and go, well, is it going to work? Is it not? And you're like, come on, you have literally been doing this for commission wise, which is exactly what owning your own business is. Yeah, you're you're running a business inside of a business, especially when you're a salesperson or a sales leader. I did hear someone very early on say if um, the best founders, what they figured out how to do is to stop working in the job that they had, meaning like if you come from product marketing and you go create a software company, stop being a product marketer. Right. You're a business owner. Same thing for me. That was actually really tough in my first three months was having to move from being a salesperson to being a business owner, because essentially if you leave your job or you go out on your own, to do the thing that you're an expert in, 
but you don't focus on like the other things about becoming an actual business owner, which most people really don't. It sounds like you are when you're like, oh, well, I manage my accounting and I do this, but it's like all the other things outside of that. I had to go do things that were a little unnative to me, not native to me very early on. Um, but you basically created the worst job for yourself, which is doing what you did for someone else, but you're not making as much money because you're just doing that same job and you put it a limit. Uh, cap on your on your income potential and so that's a that's a very tough point uh to to swallow early on but to your point exactly you're already running a business inside of a business there's just a lot more factors that go into it when you become an entrepreneur that you got to consider so you're not essentially as i said working in your business you're working on your business but early on you still have to do some selling uh so you know i still still full-time sales leader at my my own company, but that's for a good reason, right? If people are going to work with the sales doctor, they want to be sold by the sales doctor. They want to see if I'm, if I, you know, my money is where my mouth is, if I'm, if I'm worth my salt, so to speak. And so we realize that happens, but I have people that do outreach for me. I have people that manage my content, my marketing, my website for me now, uh, which is great because I was trying to do all that on my own. And it was just like V2 of what I was already doing on the side for two years as a, as a consultant after hours, you know? Right. And so all you did was give yourself more hours of the day to do the same thing you were trying to squeeze into four hours before you passed out exhausted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. great. That's still, it's just a job. It's a job, but I still need to go out and do something else. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think to the point of, uh, you know, if we want to jump right in, uh, what I think is really important to talk about today whether whether you are whether you're a sales leader, you're an individual contributor at a company with a quota, or maybe you're a business owner yourself, um, it's really irrelevant what type of business owner you are too. Yeah, I have a lot of experience in um, commercial insurance, B two B tech, all that stuff, but these are principles that translate really to anything um, because it's simple outreach, right? We all want to know how do we get more people. I'm sure we're all great sellers, and we're all getting better at selling, and we're great at you know, doing qualification and discovery and managing someone through a pipeline and building a relationship. And hopefully we've all read, you know, never split the difference. So we're all great negotiators and we know how to close and we know how to keep customers around, hopefully. But the hardest thing I'm a firm believer of is how do I get people to come to my front door? That's why there's an entire department for it, which is marketing. And that's one of the things that I really pride myself on is I feel like we've kind of cracked the code. Um, to seller-based marketing, essentially, like cold outreach, one-to-one. -one. Everybody talks about making cold calls and doing cold emails. There's a lot of strategy behind things, but there's, there's, you know, if your system doesn't promote your process, then what the heck are you doing it for? And there's a lot of process and there's a lot of systems, but the two don't coincide and they are completely different. Your process is what you're actually doing. Your system is the methodology that your process is built on. And some people have like, a system, but they don't really build their process around that. And some people have a process, but they don't even have any system. And so you're probably saying, okay, Chet, that's great. Why is this important? Um, well, most people don't understand that, uh, you know, based on frequent, frequent research done by multiple companies, and I'm going to give a range because I've heard multiple numbers, but on the low end, only 3% of your market is act actively buying. On the high end, I've seen reports go as high as 5%. So we can safely say that across reports from HubSpot, uh, shout out Chat Holmes, Buyer's Pyramid, if you've ever read that, great piece of information. Maybe I'm just biased because my name is Chet as well. But awesome. we can we can assume that 3 to 5% of people that we're actively talking to are looking to buy. 56 or so percent are not ready and, and maybe 40% are ready to start researching, right? So over 50% of people want nothing to do with it right now. 
maybe 40% are like in the very beginning, like I just don't even know what the problem is that I'm facing and the solutions that are available. Only three to 5% are really actually ready to make a purchasing decision. They've done enough research to actually enter your buying funnel and begin from there. So that's why this, the, what marketing does is so important. But as salespeople, founders, entrepreneurs, maybe you only have, you have a marketer, but they're not really doing sales focused work. They're doing more like brand PR, PPC ads, stuff like that. For actual sales activity and cold outreach work, we still need to think of our outreach the same way that marketing thinks about their outreach. They do outreach marketing to many. We're doing it one-to-one -one essentially when we're adding prospects into what I what we call like a sales sequence, right? A structured drip of tasks that we're doing outreach with different purposes behind each task. They should follow a story. And that whole story is the AIDA framework. And if you've ever watched Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin talks about AIDA. I won't do the speech here because it's... Uh, it's not as a little uh, controversial. <laughs> yeah, it's a little controversial now, but it's awareness, interest, desire, and action. So first of all, awareness. Do they even know who you are? I mean, there are three types of buyers. People that know you, that uh, at the very bottom, people that don't know you exist, don't know the problem they have, and don't know the solution that can solve it. And then there are people that might know you exist, but they have no idea what the problem is and what you solve. The warmest at the top are the people that know you exist, know the problem they have, and know that you solve it. And unfortunately, the majority of people that we're reaching out to are at the very bottom. They don't know who they are. we are, and most of the time, they don't even know they have a problem and that there's something that can fix it. And so that's the whole point of the awareness stage, is you're trying to show them, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do. And then you use some sort of storytelling framework in your outreach where you're talking about current state versus desired future state using things like action by association. So let's say you're targeting dental offices. Okay. Yeah. That's who you sell to. For some reason, you sell to dental offices. Let's say you sell um, appointment booking software for dental offices. So typically that first outreach would be something along the lines of, hey, Joe, I'm sure that with everybody staying remote, it gets hard to get people out of their house and on time for their scheduled appointments, which leaves your valuable time booked up for appointments that don't show. Other dentists are using XYZ solution to help increase their appointment show rates by 28%, thus adding 152 grand a year to your revenue because those appointments show up, you can build their insurance, all that great stuff. Right. So before state, this is the problem we're dealing with. Action by association beginning. Sorry. I know this because I'm the expert. I know what you're struggling with because I talk to your buyer persona all day long. Current state, this is what I know you're dealing with. After state, this is what you can receive by having a potential conversation with me and potentially implementing our tool. But ultimately, then our CT at the end, would you be opposed to learning more? Curious to learn more. I never ask for time when I do my initial outreach because time is a finite resource. Nobody's got enough of it, but curiosity is infinite. So that's a little pro tip. When you're in this awareness part of your outreach, try to just ask if people are interested in learning more. Um, but that's one of the key things. You're trying to draw awareness. You're trying to demonstrate your expertise by using action by association. We work with other people like you. So when you're thinking about the tasks that you're doing, 
Maybe you're selling to people that are active on LinkedIn. So you can do social selling. So there's an opportunity for you to connect. I still believe direct mail works. It works because nobody is doing it. So you kind of stand out from the crowd a little bit better. So I always have a direct mail touch that goes out right away. So maybe by the second or third step in my process, they finally got the direct mail. Um, I also learned from someone who works in a direct mail service company that even if employees are working from home, they're legally required to get direct mail next day to them within 72 hours of receiving a letter. So if you send it to a company and you're worried that the person you're targeting is at a company where they're remote working, legally that their company has to forward them all their mail within 72 hours. So you know they're going to get it. You may not have their home address, but you know their co the company that they work for does. And then there's also, of course, calling and email. And in calling, this is the kind of conversation. Your script framework needs to change based on where you're at in the funnel. So it's important when you have these sequences to be able to know, is this my intro call or is this a follow-up call with action? Because in your intro call, you're really just trying to learn. How often do we try to get an appointment with someone because we're trying to sell something immediately on the phone and people just aren't having it? But when you're just literally picking someone's brain, you're curious to learn more yourself, you're looking for some help, maybe they could answer a couple quick questions for you. People are more receptive to have that conversation. So this is why it's so important to have those different touch types structured throughout the funnel. I'm going to move through the other three fairly quickly because I think we all kind of understand where we're going with this, but I want just kind of the outline of what are those other three stages look like and what's some of the content in there. And then obviously we can touch on any questions you or JR might have or anything from the audience. But if you move to the I part of the funnel, you have interest. And interest is where you're supplementing your outreach with stuff that should pique their curiosity further from the problem awareness that you were driving in your first set of outreach touches. And interest, I typically say, can be facilitated by two different methodologies. Number one, how can you make more money with whatever I'm selling? So we call it the ROI approach. Let me demonstrate the amount of money you can make by using whatever it is I'm selling, services or tools. And then the next step is if they're not interested in making money, well, that's okay. We know this. Some people just aren't interested in growth. There are maintainers out there. That's fine. But are you interested in at least saving money? So then the second, second part of that funnel is the efficiency side of things. So in your correspondence, it needs to leverage a case study about how somebody was able to save 80 hours a month using your solution, or you were able to give them back 20 hours a week for business strategy and planning by leveraging your service. Throw an efficiency email in there, throw an efficiency touch in your outreach. If the ROI, if making more money is not of interest, everybody's at least interested in saving money, right? And that's your interest. Desire is when you start to leverage like social validation, fear of missing out. Um, you use a little bit of like request and reward type language. Hey, worst thing that happens is we hop on a call. You learn something you didn't know before and at least get a look at what other dental offices like you are using in your area, because now they're going, whoa, my competitors are doing this. Now I need to look at this. And like you said, worst thing happens. At least I see something and I learn something and I know how to be forward thinking. Now, this doesn't forward thinking is tough language because it doesn't translate universally. I could see how some of us might be talking to people that are much more old school that are just like, hey, I'm trying to like continue building my business for the next four years until I sell it off or I give it to my sons and daughters or whatever that might be versus like in, in my 
my world where B2B tech, like everybody wants to be forward thinking. So right now everybody's talking about AI. You don't want to be a marketer or a sales leader or a customer success account leader that is behind the curve on AI because that's where everything is going. And the people who can adopt it first are the, it's like the people who adopted email first. You're going to drive incredible efficiency. You're going to eliminate a lot of costs. You're going to potentially add speed to ROI on everything that you deliver to your customers. And so there's a hot topic right now around AI and how to be there first forward thinking. So they're very focused on that. So I can see where that might not work in some businesses, but it is again, that action by association, fear of missing out forward thinking, Hey, if anything, at least you walk away from the call, seeing a tool that's out there that exists or a service that's being provided by people similar to you in your area. Competition drives people insane, no matter what you're in. I don't care if you're a doctor in the same building, if you're a pharmacist on the same block, if you're a tech sales company in the same industry, it drives people insane. So even if they're not looking to grow, they definitely don't want to lose to their competition. And so that's the kind of language that you're creating in your outreach when you're in that D section, the desire. Why now? Here's the social validation. Maybe you have some important customers that you highlight on a one pager. You use that fear of missing out, request and reward, take a meeting. I'll show you something new that you haven't seen that your competitors are doing, so on and so forth. Now we're at the fourth and final stage. This is action. In action, there are two key parts. If somebody hasn't responded up to this point, I've basically identified if I don't have like an email deliverability issue or I'm not dialing the wrong phone number or I don't have their address improperly input in my direct mail software, I've identified that they still don't really know who I am. They don't know the problem that they have, that it exists and that I can solve for it. They're not interested in making more money. They're not interested in cutting costs. They're not interested in being forward thinking and outlasting their competition. Because if they did, they would have responded by now. So my whole point on action is I call it, uh, I, I'm not sure what the language is here. So I call it so got poop or get off the pot. We'll use cleaner language, but it's, hey, are we going to do this thing or what? So I start with feedback language. Hey, up to this point, people in your area that typically don't respond up to this, like um, Joe, someone that doesn't typically respond to my outreach up to this point that works as a dentist means that they're not interested in blah, 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 blah. Is this you or am I too far off base? Looking forward to your feedback in advance. Even on a call, I'm doing that. Yeah, Joe, it's Chet from Sales Doctor. Been having a real heck of a time reaching. I want to discuss some of the strategies that dental offices in your areas are using to be forward thinking in the world of AI and appointment scheduling. We haven't been able to connect. I'm curious if you're interested in understanding how to lower your no-show rates in 2024 or if you're making a million dollars a year and you're fine, you couldn't use my help even if it was free you're using challenging language because at that point it's like, Hey, take some action. I'd rather have you tell me no, than just completely avoid me. Pooper, get off the pot. It's time to go. And then the last part of that correspondence is literally like, Hey, I can now fully assume that none of this is a priority for you. You're probably the worst person to work for. I mean, mentally we're thinking about that. We're not saying that outright, but it's like, man, you're not trying to grow your business for your employees or your family. None of this resonates with you. You don't care. You could care less. You're a bump on a log. Have fun watching college football on Saturday. I'll reach out to you in 90 days to see if things have changed because that's the soft breakup. 
You can't do a full breakup because you can't break up with someone you never dated, but you can tell the person at the bar who's been eyeing you all night, but hasn't come over and actually talked to you that like, Hey, I'm going to actually go home with this person, but I'll be here in two weeks. If you want to meet up, maybe we can have a conversation, right? It's the, it's the best friend syndrome. Once the best friend is actually dating somebody, they're no longer, uh, then, then they're suddenly attractive to the other person. So you're kind of doing the same thing. It's that soft breakup. Apparently none of this is a priority. I'll give you 90 days. We'll chat then, see what's changed and what you've seen from your market trends. So by using all these kinds of language in your email, any potential LinkedIn outreach you're doing, if your customers are on LinkedIn, any direct mail outreach, your phone calls, um, video emails you might be sending. I'm a big proponent of, of sending a video message inside of email. I'm a firm believer that if you can start implementing these kinds of talk tracks, language, concepts in your outreach and staging your outreach appropriately, you're going to hit 15 to 20 touches per person. And, you know, 44% of salespeople give up after one attempt and only 8% of salespeople follow up after five times. So you think about this, there's about 15 touches in this, what we call sales RX sequence that I've created. You're tripling what only 8% of people are doing. Top 8% of salespeople follow up after five times and you're doing 15 pieces of follow-up in here, so. No, I love, I okay, I have a complete affection for all of the data that you're throwing out, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, yes, numbers, numbers, not electrical engineer by degree. So I, you know, men lie, women lie, numbers never do. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you want you want to make sure you, you know the, the thing. And I always say sales is only a, a numbers game until you get educated. Yeah, then it, then it becomes conversions. Yeah, right. It's not about can you do more to get more. The answer is can you do better with what you have to get more, and mm-hmm. that works. But no, I I love that. So, um, in my notes, right. So we need. I I, t- I took a note to myself to develop the marketing drip, right. And I wrote mm-hmm. down that the the video sequences needs to be who you are. What is the problem and how do you solve it? Yeah. Right. So if you're thinking to yourself, I need to go out and put stuff on LinkedIn. I need to go put out stuff on Instagram, wherever your customer base is. I like LinkedIn. Most people there have money. And so to me, I would be like, great. I need to do one that who am I? Then the next one's going to be, you know, who, what am I actually, what is the problem that my clients have? The third one would be, how do I solve it? And if you rotate through those videos in that sequence, if you keep rotating through them, then you're going to drop people in because eventually, I mean, think right now, um, I think you see your less than 10% of your network sees what you post. Hmm. Okay. So, and that's across any of the social media platforms. So when you think I need to, should I post more? The answer is yes, they don't. They don't, they're not seeing it. Somebody has to learn, like you have to go in. Anytime I follow someone new on a social media platform, I go in and like like 10 or 11 posts that they put on because that'll trip the algorithm that, oh, you really like this person. But at the same time, I can get um, 15,000 views, right, on a video and have have 34 likes on it. So people are stingy with the likes, Okay, when it comes through and you just need to understand that most people aren't double clicking on Instagram, aren't looking for the little thumbs up on, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn. 
So they're just going down, reviewing it. And again, I loved your 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 numbers with three to five percent of your market is ready to buy. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's, so I, I feel like it's lower. I feel like it's on the low end for me. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's like almost like ready to actually have a sale. That's not just ready to have a sales conversation, keep in mind, but that's people that have like we've done the education, we've looked at possibly another vendor, we have budget. The 40% of people are the ones that are poised to start having a conversation, but you're getting those people at the top. Those are the people that if you have a typical 45-day sales cycle, those are the people that make it 45 days instead of 30 days because they're actually taking 60 days while your other 3% of buyers are doing it in 28. You know what I mean? So they, they those people still exist, but like if you're trying to turn profit quickly and you're trying to get to those people quickly, there, there has to be personalization and mass. And this is how you do that by creating, Hey, I, I know what you do. I know what you're struggling with. It's not, Hey, I saw you went to Woodrow Wilson high school. So did my great grandma Edna. You should give me your business. It has nothing to do with that. That to me is not personalization. That's digital stalking. Like right. I have a guy who keeps booking calls on my discovery calendar for something. I, I've already heard him out once. I said, look, but I don't want to be part of your reseller program to book two discovery calls with me. And the other day he sent me an email. Hey, how's so-and-so doing? I saw you celebrate. You went to this. Dude, you're looking at my Instagram and talking about things I did with my son. That's really creepy to me. That's not going to get me to take an appointment right. with you. I you don't know? go, wow, you have a vested interest. I go, you have an unhealthy interest. Yeah, yes. you have an obsession. <laughs> right. That happens to me a lot, you know, more, more than JR, just because I have hair. But um, if you look at it, again, I agree. I, I tell everybody, it, I'm just going to assume we have rapport rather than try to look for some way for me to build rapport. And yeah, so yeah. that usually comes off and actually cuts a lot of time down if you already believe you're friends with whoever you're talking to, instead of mm -hmm. going, let me go find what it is we have in common and go through. Now, looking in the background with the X-Men and the, you know, the, the baseball and all that stuff there. Yeah. Right. I'm looking over there going, yeah, we can be friends. Totally. Right. In my <laughs> office, I have one whole wall that has 400 pop Funko Pops Funko on Pop. it. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, we can definitely connect. I'll go grab my X-Men Pops and we'll bring up. Yeah. We'll just play so, in, the, in the conference room. Uh, where is it? I'm a little mirrored here. There we go. Yeah. So really funny, quick story about that. Um, you know, when I was growing up, those X-Men toys from the X-Men cartoons were a big deal for me and my brothers. And my brothers would bully me a lot. And so we had Nerf guns. And what they would do is I used to have this Professor X toy. And he would swivel in his little chair. And it was like my X-Men toy. They had all the X-Men toys. That was my one X-Men toy. Well, one day when I was taking a nap, because I was very, very young at this age, they took the Nerf bow that like we had. 20. And they would set it up and they were 20. shooting at it. They broke it. And then now when we're all in our like late 20s, this was many years ago, but we're all talking about childhood. You know, we're at that point. We're drinking at a family get together and we're talking about childhood and all this stuff. And one of my brothers goes, I have to admit to you, I totally did break your X-Men toy because they both denied ever breaking it. Well, that Christmas, he literally, he got my oldest brother got me that X-Men toy to replace Payback. it 20, 22 years later. And so I was like, oh, that's great. Like, I, I love it so much. But yeah, it was, a, it was a whole point of contention growing up. I would always say, I know you broke my X-Men toy and you'll never admit it. So I put that up there because uh, that's like, uh, that was one of my favorite toys as a kid. And it was taken from me too soon. So, but yeah, a myriad <laughs> of things to glance at behind me. Yes, absolutely. So uh, do you have any questions, JR? I do, Chet. I'm a I'm a dub aficionado, um, which which is uh, are you familiar with dub? 
No. Oh, okay. Well, you, you need you need to get, Joe. You need to give him a link. Um, he, it's something that we send a video out to you, and then down below you can put your CTAs. Either call me, email me, or calendly me for whatever. So mm-hmm. I use that as part of my drip campaign because if they're if they're looking at me, uh, maybe they'll respond. But if I have my sale, if I have my sales genius thing in the background on my green screen, Joe's going to open it up because it's like, who's this ball-headed fool with my logo behind him? Yeah, and he's going to open it up and look at it, and I'm going to go, "What's up?" And yeah, so uh, it's dub video is what he's talking about. But yeah, it's, dub. A, it's a way like dub. There's also Loom. There's yeah. other ones that somebody can quickly come back to you. And yeah, send yep. the video back. Yeah. So, no, well, I love that jar. That's great. So how, sorry about that. So anyway, so when I dub somebody on my drip campaign, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm I'm touching and reaching out and trying to draw them back in. What would you say specifically on a video touch versus an email touch or something like that? Uh, how would you differentiate that um, that touch? Um, yeah, video touch. So I actually don't automatically send video in my campaign. I send video when triggers hit. Uh, right. You can no longer rely on email opens anymore because Apple, uh, Gmail on Apple automatically opens all emails and removes the image tracing invisible PNG pixel. So you can't really trust email opens anymore, unfortunately. But if a link is clicked, or a PDF, like I send a one-pager in my first email. I send um, case studies in those efficiency emails. If those are clicked, I can track them with my software. So I set up triggers for video because think about it. If I send you a third email and all of them have had something and I do see opens, like that's the first thing. Like, are you, obviously opens are going to be there, but after that, like, are you actually clicking the links? Because if you're clicking links and not responding to me, why? So I know you're opening my emails. Now I want to send you a more engaging thing than I might have had before because I sent you a PDF, sent you a case study. Now I'm going to send you a video. So I actually don't make it an automatic that video is always sent. I always send it in the context of I can determine that you've already opened some of my emails before. I can also see if someone goes to my link tree from something I send in an email. I have tracing set up. So I'll know that like, oh, this person came from an email that I sent my sales engagement tool. That will trigger me to send a video, and and it is a lot. Um, it is a lot different. There's a lot of trains and schools of thought, whatever you want to call it, on this. I always say keep it under sixty seconds. It's a time maximum. It's really a friendly introduction. For me, I like being on people's LinkedIn pages, so uh, very easily. Um, just with the way I've set things up, I have a Canva template, and it's my picture, and it's a waving, and then it's a space for a name. So I'll type the person's name in and I have it set up so I can click something. I use a streaming software. So it's it's a little more advanced, but I share that screen, press a button and it transitions to my face. So first thing they see is my face with a hand on a thumbnail. It's their own personal thumbnail. It says, hey, JR. And they open it up and it's JR, what's going on? It's Chet with a sales doctor. Took a look at your LinkedIn. Then I'll click the share screen button where I'm already on their LinkedIn. So now their LinkedIn page pops up as well. So they feel like I'm already like 
interacting. I got your name on a custom thumbnail. I'm already on your LinkedIn. We're already connecting. And I send them the connection while I'm talking about them. And I'm also going to send you a connection. Uh, we can talk on LinkedIn. If that's easier for you, you can give me a call. It's just like those doing some of the actions that I'm already doing, but on a video with them, I think it kind of draws that a little bit more connection. In terms of the content, that's uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I do for sales leaders, and you can pick apart the pieces of it and tell me how tell me how it would work in your business, um, or not tell me how it works in your business, but listeners can take it and we apply can it modify it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause I haven't, the one thing I haven't done a great job with is my one-off emails. Like what's the framework. It's kind of just, it's kind of, it kind of goes and flows. Cause if you stick to a script, it'll sound robotic, but let's say I was, I was reaching out to you and go, Hey, JR, not sure how often you get a video email like this, but it's kind of the reason for my outreach videos and emails is one of the prospecting tactics that we teach in our skill boot camps for your sellers to help them increase prospect conversion rates into discovery calls keep them interested throughout the buying process so they don't ghost people once you get to pricing and negotiation. Would love to have a chat and see if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the results we've had with others, how we've gotten them there, and potentially see if we can do the same for you. Either way, I'm going to connect with you here on LinkedIn. Click, click, right? Connect. And if that's an easier place to communicate, we can do it there as well. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to talking soon. Boom. And that's done. So I'm kind of highlighting the beauty for me is I'm kind of highlighting like, hey, I'm sending this email because it's a thing that really works in sales. And so this is like an example of some of the stuff that I teach in my my product, which is a service of the boot camps. Right. Um, and then this is kind of the outcome of it, because now people are comfortable with video. They can use it throughout the sales process. They don't get ghosted as much because they're more engaging. And then I'm doing that action where I'm connecting with them. I'm asking if they're interested in learning more. I can share the results I've had with others how we got them there and potentially see if we can do the same for you. There's a reason Vivint Solar does well. It's because they have the qualifying statement. I just need, I don't even know if you qualify. Nobody qualifies until I chat with them. So I create a lot of language around that when I have that CTA around, share the results I've had with others, walk you through how we got them there and then see if maybe we can do the same for you. Um, and then like, obviously later on in the outreach, I use that language where it's like, if anything, you learn something new, you see what other sales leaders are doing when it comes to AI and training. So you, you can kind of plug and play, but that's part of the story, right? So hope that was helpful. Very. Thank you. Yeah. No, I love that. That's great. Very so, good. All right. I have taken up more time than I promised, Chet. And all good. Based based on the fact you're 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 drinking more than I am, right? That means you've done more talking. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, he keeps drinking. I'm like, I know, I I haven't had a lot to talk today. This is so great. I love I'm also it incredibly because... dehydrated. <laughs> it's, a, it's very yeah. hot out there, right there, right now. There it's... you go. Chet, Chet knows sales kung fu, right? That was Tom. <laughs> so, or he said you look like a panda. I don't know if that's what he meant, but probably the latter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I love the concept and your language of the soft breakup. Right. For that email that you're going to, to and saying, hey, I'm going to go leave you alone for the next 90 days now because I'm going to say here. But um, I do I do an opposite approach. I do the funny ones because I'm the edutainment guy. So I will do a, a, an email that like if you've ignored me for so long, I'll send off one. Right. That says um, like it's so sad when a kitten cries is the subject line. Right. 
And then, uh, and so then once it, it go, you open it up and it's a crying kitten picture on the inside. It says every time you refuse to answer an email, right, a kitten cries, right? And then I say, so would you just reply back to this and let me know if you're still in the market or you're considering it or you have somebody else? And then at the bottom, I put no kittens were actually harmed in the making of this email, right? So in overall, just to try to get them. And we usually get people answering back, okay, LOL, that was funny. No, I'm not in the market anymore. No, I don't want to do anything. Or they go, all right, fine, I'll give you 15 minutes, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, we won with going that way. But I love the challenging thought process as you go through the go through that. And I like that. So up to this point, and you must not be interested. Yes. And yeah. one of the valuable things, because I'm going to shut it down here in a second, but the want to know more right? When you're inviting them to answer the question of, do you want to do more instead of, because I get in my LinkedIn inbox every day, 10 different messages that have Calendly links on them going, Hey, go ahead, click the link and let's spend 15 minutes. I, I do this and this get, here's 15 minutes. I'm like, you have not earned the right to even ask me for a meeting. And you're thinking that's going to work, but somebody told them that does work somewhere. And they go continue to do that. And I'm like, okay, I get mad at that means somebody is actually going, I'll do a meeting. And I'm like, they have to be on LinkedIn with the little thing around their name that says open to work. Because who has that kind of time to just divvy up 15, 20 minutes at a time? No, that's just AI sales automation that everybody's saying works, but it doesn't. It just helps people press a button and say, I did 100 sales activities. Why is nobody converting? Yes. Um, or to, for JR there, here's a good one. Same thing. Instead of asking for you want to learn more, can I send you a video giving an overview of how we do this? Now you can send a 60 second video email with a piece of what you're doing. Uh, there's a young man that works at a company called Falcon, F-A-L-K-O-N. He's their head of community now, but he used to be one of their like SDRs to do a lot of cold outreach. And that was a lot of what he did. He'd say, hey, this is a problem people are dealing with. We're solving it. Can I just send you a quick video on how? And that's how he would get people to say yes. He'd send them that intro video. And then there's interactiveness where they can book a time to chat if they want to learn more. I was like, Tyler, that's that's brilliant. Um, that works well as uh, that works great as well. I mean, I think that's why in, in my videos I say, hey, I'm going to connect with you LinkedIn. It's easier to chat here. We can do it there. Like sometimes a call to action isn't in a meeting. It's, hey, if it's easier to talk on phone, let's do it. Or you leave a voicemail. Hey, if it's easier to communicate over email, let's do it. I'd, get them just to communicate with you somewhere. Right. That's why Give I me the medium like, that you would rather be you know, using, if someone's on LinkedIn replying to you, don't jump to text or email, stay where they're conversing with you. Cause that's their comfort level kind of deal. Perfect. Fantastic. So I apologize. Cause I was so listening to everything you said. I forgot to put the, the scrolling banner across the bottom, but it's all good. right there guys. The logo. <laughs> yes. He's got the sales. So the sales doctor RX for the prescription Dot com. Okay. The sales doc com is where you can reach out to Chet, talk to him. Uh, in the show notes is also the LinkedIn one because you know he likes LinkedIn. And if he likes you, he'll actually send you back a video. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, if you want to reach out, hit him up on LinkedIn, hit, head over to the sales doc RX, talk about his boot camps. Find yourself a way to connect with Chad. It's up to you to connect to him. I connected to him, brought him in here. JR jumped on screen because he wants to connect. So everybody needs to do that.
So any final thoughts, JR? This has been great. Thank you for the uh, bonus round. I was all, <laughs> my big ass cup was already full and you overfilled <laughs> it with that. Thanks a lot. And let me, uh, let me preface as well. Um, whether you go to my LinkedIn or you go to my website, we talked about a lot today. I don't know if you sent out recordings. If you did take notes or you just want to validate those notes, I have this entire concept in a free PDF online you can access. I will tell you all you got to do is put in your email and I'm going to send you one copy of my newsletter. If you hate it, just unsubscribe and you'll never get another copy again. But the entire sales RX sequence guide is available on my LinkedIn and on my website. You can download it absolutely free. It covers everything that we talked about and more. There's about three hours of actual class material available for free. That's amazing. That is amazing. Perfection. Thank you so much, Chet, for coming in, sharing the wisdom, writing out that prescription and then showing us how to fill it. So that's amazing. Everybody head over to his website, get it, stay on the flipping newsletter. You know, you need this stuff. So, and I will tell you again, yes, as Tom stole my thunder, everybody go out and sell something. Thanks everyone.